Would you pray with me, please, Father? May those not just be words that come forth from our lips, but may those be truths that come from our hearts. You alone are worthy of all praise and honor and glory and blessing for what you have done in coming in the person of your Son to save us and redeem us so that we could be with you forever. Thank you for who you are and what you have done in spite of who we are and what we have done. Thank you for grace, grace that lifts us to your glory. And so as we, as we turn the page from the year 2023 to 2024, may you enable us to look back, opening our eyes to see the hundreds, the thousands of evidences of your grace in our lives at work over this past year. And may we then, with anticipation, look forward to future grace, which you will bestow upon us in 2024. As we open your word now, may you give us eyes to see and ears to hear, hearts to love and worship, knees to bow, and, and hands and feet to obey. Because we see Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Overwhelm us with the love of Jesus this morning. In his name I pray, amen. Thank you, may be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. And I ask you and invite you to open your copy of the scriptures this morning to John chapter 13. John chapter 13, as always, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have a Bible for you there in the hymnal rack of the pew in front of you. That's page 1069, John chapter 13. And as you're finding your place there, let me just say a special thank you to you as a church family. You may not realize it, but Today, I conclude my fourth year as your lead pastor here at Bethel. And over those four years, you have been kind and you have been... No, no, no. Stop, 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 please. You're embarrassing me. You're giving me an illustration I can use later in this sermon, all right? So, um, but no, in all seriousness, it is an honor, a privilege, a joy, and a blessing to just do life with you, um, to serve alongside of you, to pray with you, to weep with you, to laugh with you. I, I don't know if you know this, but what God has given us here at Bethel is special. It is unique. Thank you for your patience with me. Thank you for your willingness to get to know me. Thank you for caring for my family and me and being gracious. Thank you for forgiving me when I failed you. But most of all, just thank you for doing life with me. I looked back this past week on the first sermon I preached here in January of 2020. And at that time, we had no idea that Eight weeks later, this place would be shut down due to COVID. But I preached 
from Philippians chapter 1, my first sermon as your lead pastor, on togetherness. There's something unique about togetherness. We've just come through the Christmas season, and one of the blessings of the Christmas season is togetherness, right? Everybody comes home, and we're together. But even that cannot compare to what we have here this morning. As God's people, as Bethel Baptist Church, the blessing, the joy, the privilege, the honor of being together. It's why I love Sundays. This is, this is a foretaste. It's just a small glimpse, just a quick glimpse of what heaven is going to be like. Because heaven is a place of togetherness. Together worshiping Jesus, together praising Jesus, together serving Jesus. What we have here is a unique thing. You can't get this anywhere else in the world. Together. So thank you. And when we turn to John chapter 13, this is a scene that revolves around that theme of togetherness. It's Jesus with his disciples on the night he is betrayed and arrested. And of all the ways that Jesus could choose to spend his final hours here on earth, he chooses to spend it with his guys together. It's a great way for us to conclude our 2023 and look forward to 2024. So let's pick up the scene in John chapter 13, beginning in verse 1, and I'm going to read through verse 17, and I've entitled this message this morning from John 13, Engage, Loved by Jesus, to Serve Like Jesus. Verse 1 of John 13. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was, had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, well, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you, for he knew who was to betray him. And that was why he said, not all of you are clean. And when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of our God. This is the Son of God speaking to the people of God. Now, um, I am, as I said just a moment ago, I am now four years older than I was when you, when you voted on me to become your lead pastor. And there's something I've learned in those four years. The older I get, the faster time flies. Would you agree with that? The older I get, the faster time flies, but that's not all. I've also learned that the older I get, the quicker I forget things. Maybe I should ask this week, this week, how many of you walked into a room in your home and then asked yourself, why am I here? And maybe you're right there with me. You know, faster time flies, the quicker you forget. Maybe you've forgotten that our church theme for 2023 was... That's what I thought. Caring like Jesus. Caring like Jesus. Caring for people like Jesus cares for people. Initiating relationships, building relationships. But you know, a Jesus kind of ministry isn't, about, isn't just about forging relationships. It's about, it's about sustaining those relationships. Continuing, building them, strengthening them. It's about relationships that last because when Jesus enters into relationship with us, it isn't a one-night stand. It isn't even a till death do us part. It's forever. Jesus will never love you and leave you. He sustains his relationship with you by serving you. And so relationships, relationships aren't just forged through caring, they are sustained through serving. That's why our church theme, we're piggybacking off of 2023, caring like Jesus, and this year it's going to be serving like Jesus. Now, serving others doesn't come naturally to us. That's why one of the first words our children learn is the word, mine. It's good to have our grandson here, 21 months old. He's just starting to speak, and I'm sure that one of his first words will be mine, especially when his little sister is born. Now, that was supposed to be kind of funny, all right? So his world, Wesley's world, is about to change, and that's when that word mine will come in handy for him, right? So we teach our children then to think of others and to serve others, and we teach them how to share their toys with others. We teach them how to give to others, and we do that because we're all born into this world loving to be served rather than loving to serve. And you know that that tendency doesn't disappear magically over time as we grow older. We, we don't outgrow that. Now, we may refine it and we may dress it up a bit, but there's still something deep inside of us that loves to be served rather than to serve. But what if? 
What if right here in John chapter 13, Jesus gives us the ultimate motivation to serve others? What if there is something so meaningful and so powerful that it can both motivate us and empower us to serve others like Jesus? What if? In June, Joanna and I will celebrate our 30th anniversary. Obviously, we were very, very young when we got married. Now, I loved, on our wedding day, I loved Joanna. I confessed that in front of a crowd like this. But what's crazy is that my love for her has grown every day since that day. And there are times that I'll look at Joanna and I'll say, you have no idea how much I love you. No idea. If you're married, I hope you can say that to your husband or wife. I hope that everyone in this room has someone they can say that to. Maybe it's, maybe it's a good action step for us to take this week to, to say that to someone. Say that to a parent. Say that to a spouse. Say that to a child. Say that to a friend. You have no idea how much I love you. But here's the reality for every follower of Jesus in this room. You have no idea how much Jesus loves you. Now, I know that we can sing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. We can know what the Bible says about the love of Jesus. We can have all of our theological I's dotted and T's crossed when it comes to the love of Jesus. We can teach our kids about the love of Jesus. I can preach to you, the church, about the love of Jesus. And still, we have no idea how much Jesus loves us. That's John 13. Jesus intends this scene not only to grow our understanding of the incomprehensible love of Jesus, but to elicit a response to that incomprehensible love of Jesus. And so the big idea here is that being loved by Jesus is a call to serve like Jesus. That's the response Jesus is looking for from this scene. It's a response that's driven by the reality that we are loved so deeply by Jesus. It's verse 1 where John sets up this scene for us. We know this scene as the scene in the upper room. It's the Last Supper. The disciples and Jesus are gathered there in that borrowed room somewhere in Jerusalem to eat the Passover meal. Jesus is going to institute the Lord's Supper, what we refer to as communion. He knows that his hour has come. He knows that in just 15 or so hours, he's going to be hanging from a cross. And on this final night with his disciples, he wants them to know something. He wants them to know that they have no idea how much he loves them. That's why John says in verse 1, he has loved his own who were in the world, and he's loved them to the end. He's invested three years of his life in them. He's walked with them. He's calmed storms for them. He's walked on the water to them. He has fed crowds of 5,000 and 4,000 using them, and tomorrow he will die for them. Because as he says later to them on this very night, greater love has no one than this 
than someone lay down his life for his friends. And so tonight is all about Jesus teaching these guys what love is and what love does. Because this is a love that is a to-the-end kind of love. Now, we read that in verse 1, and when we read that, we tend to think in chronological terms, like what I said to Joanna at our wedding, that I will always love you. I'll love you to the end. I'll love you to the end of time. But the Greek word here, to the end, isn't just about how long Jesus will love us. It's about how much Jesus does love us. He loves us comprehensively. He loves us completely. He loves us with a to-the-brim, to-the-max kind of love. He loves us. He loves us. It's hard for us to imagine that kind of love. Our love tends to come and go. Our love tends to wane and grow. If you're as old as me, you have people from from back in high school who were BFFs before they were called BFFs. Some of you are like, BFF? Best friends forever. I mean, you were tight, right? You signed their yearbook, Friends Forever, as you were singing the old Michael W. Smith song, and a friends of friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of them but you haven't seen them or spoken to them in the 30 years since you were in high school with them. You get a Christmas card. Oh, this is what they look like now. See, honey, we don't look so bad. (laughs) But Jesus' love is not like that. It never grows or wanes He could never love any of his people any more or any less ever. Maybe you believe that up here in your head, but you doubt that down here in your heart. Maybe it's your past, you know, who you were, what you have done, because you know the stories of the people sitting around you this morning who grew up in a Christian home and came to Jesus at an early age, and they were never who you were, and they never did what you did And you find yourself wondering if Christ loves you less than he loves them. No. Never. Maybe you look around at the people around you and and you see the skills and abilities that God has given to them. And and, and maybe you aren't musical like them. Maybe you totally lose it. Maybe you like melt into the carpet anytime you're up in front of people. And so you'll never lead a Bible study and you'll never sing in the choir. And you find yourself thinking, God doesn't love me like he loves them because I can't do for him what they do for him. No. No. Never. Listen, please. His love for you is incomprehensible and unchangeable precisely because it's unearnable. Do you believe that? He doesn't love us because of who we are and what we've done. He loves us in spite of who we are 
and what we've done. It's such an incomprehensible love. It's such a beyond us, otherworldly love that when John thinks back on this night in the upper room, he sets everything about this night in the context of Jesus to the end, to the max, love. A love that's always looking out for his guys, always looking out for a way to meet their needs. A love that's all about serving them. Even when the Passover meal is already underway. And although everything about that Passover meal is intended to point to Jesus, the conversation around the table is all about anything but Jesus. Now, some of you are looking at your Bible. You say, where does John tell us what the conversation is? Well, John doesn't, but Luke does in Luke chapter 22. He tells us that the disciples are discussing a question. Anybody remember the question? The question being debated around the table is this. Which of us is the greatest? Which of us deserves the place of honor in God's kingdom? Which of us is number one and top dog in big kahuna? And when that question is posed, a debate ensues. The disciples are suddenly trying to one-up each other. They're trying to make the case for why they are disciple first class. And as Jesus is listening, his heart must be breaking. He knows that Judas Iscariot, who's sitting around that table with him, will betray him. He knows that death is coming for him. I wonder how we would respond if we knew our time was short, like really short. I'd imagine we'd start getting our stuff in order. If you're like me, you'd ask for a steak dinner and a trip to Disneyland. But when Jesus knows his death is imminent, he spends his final hours with his guys serving his guys to demonstrate his love for his guys. Because Jesus knows that his death will not be the end. He knows that the Father has already given everything into his hand. He knows that he's come from God and that he's going back to God. He knows that one day every knee will bow before him. And yet during his final hours, while the disciples are debating their own glory, the one who possesses all glory kneels before them. Jesus pushes away from the table, walks to the door, picks up a water basin and a servant's towel and without a word removes his outer garments. This is Jesus fleshing out in real human time and a real human place with real human guise what we read earlier from Philippians 2 verses 6 and 7 that though he was in the form of God he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself taking the form of a servant and washing their feet as a picture of what he will do in just a few hours when he climbs on their cross. Now, 
We need to understand here that foot washing was a big deal in Jesus' day. Remember, there were no paved roads, and because these guys all wore open-toed sandals, their feet would be caked with dirt and mud and anything else they picked up on those dirt roads. So when they entered a home, they would remove their shoes like many of us still do today, and near the door there, there would be a water basin and a towel so that you could wash your feet. Now, if, if you were wealthy enough, one of your servants would do that for you. He would have been the least of the servants because washing feet was considered to be the lowliest of tasks, a task that is beneath these 12 dis- disciples, especially when they're discussing Which of them is the greatest? And that's when the greatest among them goes lower than any of them are willing to go. Jesus ties that servant's towel around his waist. He pours water into the basin and he begins to wash their feet. Their king is their servant. Kneeling at their feet. They have no idea how much he loves them, which is why they're embarrassed now because of him. You ever found yourself in a situation where you've been embarrassed by the overwhelming generosity of, of someone who's serving you? There's, there's a guy in this church who, who takes me fishing. And when he takes me fishing, I tend to feel like you did a few moments ago when I said, thank you for allowing me to be your pastor for four years, and you started clapping. He takes me fishing. I, I, I feel a little embarrassed. You know why? Because... Because all I have to do is show up. He has the boat. He brings the rods and reels. He provides the bait and tackle. He does everything, including bringing a grill upon which he will make lunch. It's so wow. I mean, it's, it's a little embarrassing. It's not embarrassing enough that I don't want to go with him again. But it's, it's like crazy generous. And that's what the disciples must be feeling here. The Lord of all creation, the King of the universe, is kneeling at their feet, washing the gunk from their feet. It's so countercultural in Jewish society that if you would have been in this room, it would have been jarring as well as embarrassing. And when Jesus arrives at Peter, Peter pipes up. And knowing Peter, we aren't surprised by that. I mean, Peter's the guy who's constantly putting his foot in his mouth. But Peter, he's going to get this one right. And so when Jesus takes Peter's foot in his hand, no way, Jesus. No way. I'm never letting you wash my feet. This is so beneath you. And I can just imagine Peter's thinking to himself, nailed it. But because he's thinking that because, you get this, this is the only time in the entire Bible where a superior washes the feet of a subordinate. The only time in the Bible a master washes the feet of his servant. 
But that's the point. And that's why Jesus says, you don't get what I'm doing right now. But someday you will. No, Jesus, no. I'm putting my foot down. You will not wash my feet. Peter, Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. You don't belong to me. It's Jesus saying, listen, Peter, listen, this isn't just about me washing your feet. This is about more than a water basin and a towel. There's something symbolic here, something spiritual here. If I don't humble myself, not just as a servant who washes your feet, but as a sacrifice who climbs upon a cross to cleanse you from your sins, then you will never belong to me. Peter, Peter, you must humble yourself before the one who's humbling himself before you. Peter, you've got to see how deeply you need me. You can't have any part of me without me doing for you what you could never do for yourself. The water I pour in the basin is a pointer to the blood that I will shed on the cross. Then Jesus, Jesus, don't just wash my feet. Wash my hands and my head. Give me a bath in your grace. Peter, Peter, I've already bathed you in my grace. You've believed on me. You belong to me. I've saved you by my grace. But you need me to remove the daily grunge from your feet as you walk through this world. You need the real experience of my ongoing forgiveness through your ongoing repentance for the sins you still commit. Peter, Peter, you need my cleansing and sanctifying grace from head to toe. Now that's why when we as Christians sin... We don't have to become a Christian all over again. That's the point Jesus is making here. Let me try to illustrate this. It's like, it's like when my dad said to me, Kenneth, you can take the car tonight, but the car must be back in the driveway at 11. And being the good son that I was, I had that car in that driveway at 11, 10. <laughs> and the next morning at breakfast, there was tension. My disobedience the night before had impaired my fellowship with my father. Now, I would like to tell you I only did that once, but that would not be true. And each time I did that, you know, I didn't have to ask dad to become my dad again. But I did need to ask his forgiveness so that the breach in our relationship, that loving, ongoing, daily relationship could be restored. And Jesus is saying here, Peter, you will always belong to me because of my once for all saving grace. But what I'm showing you here is your need for my ongoing sanctifying grace in the everyday life. And John, maybe John picks up on this later when he writes in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins. 
By the way, he's writing to believers. He's not writing to unbelievers. He's writing to believers in Jesus. If we confess our sins, daily confessing our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us our sins and to what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I have to think that John is thinking back to this night. The cleansing of the feet. And then Jesus says something very interesting. What I've just said about the ongoing need for my forgiveness in everyday life by washing your feet, that's true for all of you guys in this room except for one of you. You see, Jesus knows what Judas Iscariot is planning. Jesus knows, and yet he kneels before Judas, washing the feet of Judas. Not because Judas is a believer in Jesus, but because Jesus is a servant, even to his betrayer. We should read this. We should be asking ourselves questions like, what love is this? What humility is this? To kneel before your betrayer, taking his feet into your hands, hands that will be nailed to a cross because he has betrayed you. And yet you are his servant. But Judas never got the humility of Jesus. And so he never humbled himself before Jesus. Have you? Have you humbled yourself before the one who humbled himself and went to a cross? Do you belong to him? The only way that can be true, we see in this scene, pointing us to the cross, The only way that we can belong to him is that Jesus takes our sin upon himself and pays the price for that sin in full. He humbles himself to do that by laying down his life and dying on a cross. That's why I'm quoting to you often Isaiah 53 verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. You see, we cannot come to Jesus until we humble ourselves before Jesus. I know so many people So many people who think, who believe, who say, I'm too bad for Jesus to forgive me. No, we've already dealt with that this morning. But we also have a group of people who say, I I, I don't need Jesus. I'm good on my own. I can do it without him. Or maybe I just add him in kind of at the end as a, as, a, as a safety net. No, 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 no. In this scene, we learn that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. From head to toe, it's all 
him. It's not about what I do. It's about what he's done for me. And that's why Paul, the apostle, writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It is not of works, lest any of us should boast. And that's why Paul will say later in Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if we will confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord because we believed in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. That is always and only the only way Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him. Have you? Will you trust in him from head to toe? I plead with you, get what Jesus is saying here and doing here. And when you do, you will humble yourself to be served by Jesus. And he will give you ears to hear his call to serve like Jesus. Because when Jesus retakes his place at the table there in the upper room, he says, guys, do you get what I've just done? And we know the answer is no, they have no idea. And so Jesus says, you know, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and you're right, I am. And if I, as your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. So humble yourselves as servants. You are not greater than me, so what you've seen me do, you do. Pour out your life in serving others. I want you to notice here that this is not the tyrannical boss Jesus always demanding more from his employees. This is not even the five-star general G Jesus always barking commands to his soldiers. This is the you have no idea how much I love you, Jesus. And that's why he says what he says in verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. When you serve others, there's blessing. When you serve others, there's joy. It's one of the reasons I love our Operation Christmas Child shoebox campaign. We saw pictures of that this morning from our 2023 year in review. It's a blast. And I have so much fun with Operation Christmas Child, collecting the shoeboxes, packing the shoeboxes, loading the shoeboxes. It's, it's just the joy. You know, it wouldn't be much fun doing that alone, but being together. The joy of being together, the joy of working together. But the, the one thing we don't get is the joy of being able to see the joy on the kids' faces in places like Peru when... The kids open those shoeboxes full of gifts, the ones we packed. And then I receive a note from a missionary just last Sunday on Christmas Eve. Here's what she said. She said 385,000 shoeboxes were distributed in Peru in the last two weeks, including more than 7,000 in the capital of Cusco. And when 812 of those children opened their shoeboxes and read the story of Jesus and heard the truth about Jesus, those 812 children professed faith in Jesus. God did that. But God used you to play a part in that. 
And so you share in the blessing and joy of that. And we have more serving opportunities coming soon to a church near you. Right here. We need volunteers in the nursery on Sundays and Wednesdays so that moms and dads can sit under the teaching of God's Word. This spring, in this room, more than 500 men will gather from around the Midwest listening to God's Word at the 2023 Men for Christ rally. We need, a, we need to build a hospitality team for that. On Easter weekend, more than 1,200 people will cram onto our campus for our annual Easter egg hunt. We need men and women and young people to staff that. And so this morning out in the lobby, you'll find information on how to serve in those ways. You can sign up this morning to serve in those ways. Because as Jesus says in Acts 20, verse 35, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And when we believe that, our marriages will take on a whole new dimension. Our work will take on a whole new meaning. Our giving will take on a whole new significance. When you get that you have no idea how deeply you are loved by Jesus, you are freed to serve like Jesus. And you'll know you're serving like Jesus when two things are true. Number one, when there is no one below you. No one. Regardless of their skin color or their ethnicity, regardless of their socioeconomic status, regardless of their age or experience, when Jesus washes the disciples' feet, he's showing us that in God's kingdom, the way up is by going down. To be great is to become small. To be first is to be last of all because you are servant to all. Jesus says in Mark 10, verse 44, whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. So let me ask just a very practical question this morning. What group of people, what kinds of people do you find it most difficult to serve? Those who are different from you, those who share different, have different interests than you, those who will never return your kindness or even say thank you for your service. Here's an action step for us all to take, and I'm including myself in this. Pick someone from that group that you find hardest to serve and serve them. Let them keep your shopping cart quarter at Aldi. Take that cranky coworker out for lunch and ask them how you can better serve them and then watch as their jaw hits the floor. Listen, if Jesus can wash Judas' feet, then we can wash the feet of those we find hard to love because no one is below us. And secondly, no task is beneath us. None. So as... Peter says in 1 Peter 5, verse 5, Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And when that's true of you, you'll be just as comfortable scrubbing floors and cleaning toilets as you are in that top floor corner office. 
When that's you, you'll, you'll fight for the right to clean up after your son's thrown up for the third time that night. When that's true for you, you'll take out the trash for mom and dad without whining. And you'll do that because you aren't into demanding from others. You're into asking of others, how can I help? What can I do? How can I serve? And when they tell you, you won't say, well, I won't do that. Because that's where the blessing is. That's where the joy is. That's where Jesus is. Kneeling at the feet of others, laying down your life for others, because in Jesus, he's laid down his life for you to make you a child of grace. And so now you are free to serve people rather than demand from people. You're free to give to people rather than take from people. You're free to love people rather than use people. And so you will like Jesus. And because of Jesus, you will pour yourself out and sacrifice for others regardless of the cost because Jesus paid the ultimate cost to make you his own. You will serve like Jesus because you get that you have no idea how deeply you are loved by Jesus. Amen. Father, may you take your word, may you plant it deep in us, may you shape and fashion us in your likeness and for your glory. Accomplish your will using your spirit to remind us of the truth of your word, to make us like your son. In his name I pray, amen. Please stand.